1: And welcome to another episode of How to Win 2024. We are recording a little earlier this week. It's Tuesday before the Thanksgiving holiday. But for listeners, it's Thanksgiving or later. I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and I'm here with my co-host, Claire McCaskill. Uh, Claire, first of all, I hate the Eagles, and I'm sorry about the Chiefs. Yeah, let's move on. Okay, moving on. We're Giants fans in my family, and we're big Isaiah Pacheco fans. You have really something to feel badly about then. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Mine was one game. Yours is bigger than that, my friend. Yeah, you're totally going to win the Super Bowl. But like, because my, my husband actually played football at Rutgers. So we are, I say, a Pacheco fan. So as oh, so so long as Pacheco's show. there, we're like, yeah, we feel good. Um, okay, but what about Thanksgiving? So like you're such a big baker. What's your favorite thing to cook and eat on Thanksgiving? Well, you know, it's
2: interestingly, it's not baking. I only I, I generally have other people bring desserts. I just do the pumpkin pies. But um, picking between my Thanksgiving dishes is like picking between my grandchildren. <laughs> it is impossible for me to pick. Um, I'll smoke two 23-pound turkeys. Oh gosh! I will do oyster stuffing. I will do cornbread. I will do sourdough and wild rice. I will do a really good roasted cauliflower. I will do the traditional green bean. I can't believe wow. we're eating this casserole, <laughs> and I have um, 17 adults and 12 children this year. <gasps> oh my so God! We will put the fun and dysfunction. <laughs> on Thanksgiving Day with loving chaos reigning supreme.
1: Oh, my God. We just, it's just me and my husband and my parents. So it will be later in the week. It gets crazy at our place, but it'll be a little chill. All
2: right. So you want to dive in? Yes. Now that we've got the really important stuff out of the way, let's talk about <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, something we've been threatening to do since we began this podcast, and that is taking a deep dive into third party candidates. Who are these candidates? Are they really a threat? How are they a threat? And, you know, it's it's important that we talk about this and that people be really aware that this is just not your garden-variety election where there's always a third-party candidate. This is important.
1: And there's something people can do about it, because just being aware of what the risks are and making sure that your friends and family are aware is going to be important. And to make sense of it all, Matt Bennett from Third Way. Now, I know that Third Way sounds like a group that might be for a third-party candidate, But they are not. And he has they sort of taken it upon themselves to really dig deep on how a third party candidate could influence the 2024 election. And he's joining us to take a closer look um, at the third party candidates and what kind of nightmare scenarios that they could create. But first, we are going to catch everyone up on sort of a brief history of third-party candidates and also how we got here in terms of the five candidates that may run this time. So recent polls have shown that voters are not satisfied with Biden or Trump as their nominees. We know that. And so that has encouraged third-party candidates to jump into the race. But as we've seen time and time again, they are much more likely to be spoilers as opposed to actually being able to win any electoral votes. So since 1900, Only five third-party candidates have been able to capture at least one electoral vote, and you have only heard of three of them. They are uh, Teddy Roosevelt in 1912. Remember, that was the Bull Moose Party. uh, Strom Thurmond in 1948 and George Wallace in 1968. But others have made an impact just by siphoning votes away from mainstream candidates my biggest experience with this was Ross Perot in 1992, right, because I uh, worked for President Clinton. He ran as an independent, kind of different than what we have going on now, in that there was actual grassroots support for Ross Perot. He decided He declared himself as an independent. He ran as an independent. He had sort of an interesting, moderate, populist kind of agenda, got— Nineteen percent of the vote. Very high. George Bush got thirty seven percent of the vote. Bill Clinton won the presidency with only forty three percent of the vote. There's a big debate about did Ross Perot win the presidency for Bill Clinton by siphoning votes off from George H.W. Bush. You know, analysts look at this and say Clinton was probably going to win that race either way, but a lot of real grassroots support for him. And then the 2000 campaign. Uh, I think people are aware of Ralph Nader. He ran as a, a third party candidate and that hurt Gore, but also Pat Buchanan. He was a Republican primary candidate. So this is when George Bush was first running and then decided to continue to run as an independent. And he is thought to have played a role in Al Gore's defeat because he impacted. Florida. People may recall or have heard craziness with ballots in Florida, and there was confusion with the butterfly ballots that potentially cost Gore the state by having people mistakenly vote for Pat Buchanan. So, like, a good example of how even if there is not intent to take votes away from a candidate, that may just happen. And then, of course, Ralph Nader, who ran um, as an independent from the left, challenging Gore and Bush, he got 2.9 million votes overall, not nothing. Um, And in Florida, he won 97,000 votes and Gore lost the state by 537 votes. So Nader, Buchanan, both had a big impact in 2000, even though they were not nearly as strong as Perot. Um, And then, of course, I can't talk about 16, so you're going to do it.
2: I hate to even say her name because I hate to give her (laughs) any credibility or any resonance at all. But remember what happened in 2016. No one believed Trump would win, including Donald Trump. Thank you. Literally no one. (laughs) And so when he won, everybody looked around at the states that we assumed we would win, which was Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. She lost those states by very, very thin margins. If only half of Jill Stein's votes had voted for Hillary Clinton, she would have been president of the United States, and we would not be facing this existential threat next year at the ballot in the form of a guy that is mentally deranged. So I know you have personal experience with that. I know that you guys probably didn't think she was going to hurt as much as she did. Right, Um, that's right. And were you surprised that she got as many votes as she did in those battleground states?
1: You know, we had a lot of concerns about how the left would react, particularly in those states, particularly in Wisconsin. These are states where... um, Uh, Wisconsin in particular, Bernie Sanders won very big. So we always had concerns about the left in uh, Wisconsin in particular, also a little bit of Michigan, also Pennsylvania. Um, But we just didn't appreciate that the two percentage points was going to matter as much as it did in these states and that she got as much as as she did. Um, And then, of course, the big, you know, crazy thing is later seeing photos of Jill Stein at a table with Vladimir Putin and Mike Flynn. And, you know, questions about her connections to Russia, that's just like a whole other explosion. But the bottom line is someone who wasn't really even on the radar screen of most voters uh, caused the election to go to Donald Trump.
2: So let's briefly outline the five candidates that are in the mix as a third-party candidate this time, and then we'll really take a closer look at all of this with Matt Bennett just around the corner. We have Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's running as an independent. Uh, He's polled higher so far than your typical independent candidate. You have Joe Manchin, who's left the door open after deciding he did not want to go down to defeat in West Virginia. You have former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who's a Republican. He is probably maybe the most potential no-labels nominee, and we'll talk to Matt about that. We have the progressive scholar and darling of the far, far left, Cornell West. And then we have Jill Stein, who just wants another five minutes of fame, even though she single-handedly did tremendous damage to our country.
1: Yeah. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, the co-founder of Third Way Matt Bennett is here to talk about their fight against third-party candidates. Stay tuned..
3: Thank you.
1: Welcome back. Our guest today is a longtime veteran of political wars, having worked for both Al Gore and Bill Clinton, uh, someone I've been friends and colleagues with for a very long time, done both the Clinton and Gore presidential campaigns. And in 2005, he helped to establish Third Way, which is a national think tank that champions uh, modern center-left ideas. Please welcome to the pod my friend Matt Bennett.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Tell us a little bit about Third Way and how, because I, as I, I said in the intro, it sounds like you would be an organization that might support third-party candidates. So how you are different from movements like No Labels, Libertarian Party, the Green Party. Yeah. Some people understand
3: where you're coming from. That word third <laughs> has not done well for us in the last year or so. But we named ourselves that back in 2005 when we formed it because, like you, I came out of the Clinton administration and so did several of the other co-founders of Third Way, And we wanted to signal who we were, which is we were center-left, we were moderate Democrats. And you can't use partisan words like Democrat and Republican in your name if you're nonprofit. So it worked back then. It works less well now. But that's who we are. No labels, as you said in the uh, other segment, was for a long time working on similarly on center-left things or more on centrist things, or both uh, Democrats and Republicans were Democrats. But they weren't doing any harm. The things they were doing in Congress were occasionally useful. But then they started doing real harm when they decided they wanted to run a third-party candidate, and that's when we got involved.
2: So I'm just so anxious to get this technical answer, and I think people need to understand this. Explain exactly how a no-labels candidate could deprive Joe Biden of a victory. And I mean specifically about their success In getting on ballots in states that are going to matter.
3: So they've said they want to be on the ballot in all 50 states. But as you know, really only about seven of them matter. They're on the ballot in 12 so far, including three battlegrounds, Arizona, North Carolina and Nevada. And they're trying to get on in all of the battleground states. Some of them, they have to wait under state law like Michigan. But I think we can expect that they are likely to be on all of those ballots. The problem is that unlike Jill Stein in 2016, they are going to have a lot of money and their candidate is likely to be somebody who is both high profile and is at least allegedly a moderate, a centrist, somebody that people who might be willing to vote for Trump and uncomfortable with Joe Biden would be attracted to. Now, it won't be enough people to elect that person president or to win a single state, but it is likely to be enough people to spoil the election and help Donald Trump because Trump's support has both a very hard and low ceiling and a hard and low floor. He's got, you know, somewhere in the mid 40s as a percentage of the vote. He can't get above that, which means in a head to head race with Biden, he'll lose. But he's not going to go far below that either, because if you're for Trump, you're for Trump. You're not peeling off to vote for Larry Hogan. The problem with Biden is he's got a higher ceiling and a softer floor. That's why we're so concerned.
2: So they are going to get on the ballot in states that matter and certainly enough states that it could really hurt Biden. What is the likelihood of any of these third party candidates being on the ballot
3: in all 50 states? I think No Labels has a pretty good shot at it. I have a friend who lives in Wyoming, and he was solicited by a No Labels ballot signature gatherer in Wyoming, a state with very few electoral votes that is going to go for Trump by a huge margin. So they're pretty serious about all 50 states and they might get on there. But I think it's important to emphasize that really it only matters in the seven swing states and they're very likely to be on there. The real question about the other candidates, particularly West and Kennedy, is whether they can get on at all. Because unlike no labels, Those guys have to use what we call in this business, hard money to get on the ballot. They have to use money that they gather in $2,900 or less increments, and they don't have much of that. Kennedy has a lot of money, but it's in a super PAC so like Elon Musk, who apparently likes RFK Jr., can't just write a check and help him get on the ballot. They probably can raise that money, but it's not going to be easy and there's no way they're going to be on in 50 states.
1: How much money do you think you need to for this effort? And why is no labels operating under different rules than the presidential candidates, RFK and Cornell West?
3: So you probably need somewhere in the order of the $60 million that their CEO, Nancy Jacobson, has said that they've gathered so far. It's a very expensive to do this. you got to hire firms in all these states, and they got to send people out. And the real challenge is getting good signatures, like not having signature gatherers who just write Mickey Mouse on their forms. By all accounts, the signatures that they've gathered in the 12 states where they're on so far are good, so they're spending real money. The reason that they can operate differently, they're a 501c4. It's a dark money organization. They can raise money in unlimited amounts from secret donors. And so we don't know who their donors are. We know some kind of anecdotally, Arlen Crow, who is Justice Thomas's friend who flies him around on his private jet, and a few other Republican donors like Nelson Peltz. But for the most part, we don't know who they are. They can do that because there is a D.C. Circuit ruling from 10 years ago that said that if you are a C4, you can gain ballot access until you name a candidate. The moment that you name a candidate, you're under FEC rules. So the problem for Kennedy and West is they're the candidate and they can't operate under that fig leaf that uh, No Labels has.
2: Okay, so that was a ding, ding, ding moment. I just want to congratulate you, Matt Bennett. You actually explained something to me. I really have majored in acting like I know what I talk about all the time, even when I don't. (laughs) And that I acting like I know everything. I did not understand that until this moment. And I'm guarantee you our listeners didn't. So if you take nothing away from this podcast, the reason no labels has not named a candidate is because they can't until they get access to all these ballots in all these states, because that is the easiest road to go to gain a ballot to access is not having a candidate, but just having a shell that raises dark money from far extreme right donors.
3: That is exactly right. Now, there are a few states where they can't do that because the timing is different in those states or because they have to do it after a convention. Uh, One of them is Michigan, which really matters. So one of the things they've done is they pushed up the date of their nominating convention. They're going to host a convention in Dallas. It was going to be in April. Now it's in March because... They need to get going and raising that hard money to get on the ballot in the states where they have to do it in the spring. But uh, otherwise, everything you said is exactly right.
2: What is the most important thing that people should do? Everyone is very worried about this. How do you wrestle this thing? How does an individual in America who thinks next year's election is different for a lot of important reasons, what can they do to stop this? Well,
3: the problem, there's two problems. One is, it's a free country. So stopping them from getting on the ballot is hard. If they have the money and the time and the organization, which No Labels has, it's not clear the other guys have it, but they do, then they're going to be on the ballot. What people can do is socialize the idea that there is absolutely, positively no way that these people are going to win the election. Because somehow No Labels has sold a bill of goods to their donors And potentially to some of their candidates or potential candidates, that this time is different. That they can do what Teddy Roosevelt, who was carved into Mount Rushmore 15 years later, what Teddy Roosevelt was unable to do, (laughs) and that is to win the election. And as you all pointed out in your opening, no one's won a single electoral vote since 1968, and he did it running as a racist. So they're not going to win the election. And if we can knock back the idea that that is even remotely possible then i think it will be harder for them to recruit the kind of a level candidate they think they're going to need to actually compete and so that's what people can do is just you know make clear that this thing is a road to nowhere and if you get involved with this you're involved with losers
1: so nancy jacobson who is the ceo of no labels she has said that quote we will not spoil for either side the only reason to do this is to win so i think what she means is that If they look at this and think we can't objectively actually win the race, we won't put a candidate up. It's also very weird to have this all decided by like, you know, in a laboratory in D.C. with secret donors as opposed to. A grassroots campaign. It's very weird to have a dark money group try to create a shadow party that will later come and have a candidate. This is all very backwards. Like, why are they being so secretive? Do you believe them when they say they won't do this if they don't think that they can win? And what metrics might they be using to decide that? And when? Not that you're their oh, model.
0: But-
3: I'm the last person that they would put forward as... <laughs> And public enemy number one over there. But on when, I guess the last date that they can name their candidate is at their nominating convention in March. And it'll probably be sometime between the first of the year and then. Uh, But again, as you all noted, they lose their protection as a dark money group the minute they do. How they're going to choose, they don't know. In fact, they've said recently they're confused about how to do it. One of the problems is they know a whole bunch of groups will be mobilizing to screw with their system if they make it too public. So move on. For example, has uh, been working with us closely on this. They're going to mobilize their members to you know vote for Claire or me or somebody to, to be their nominee who would step aside yeah. uh, for Biden. So. They can't make it too public.
1: Yeah, because, like, who's going to this convention, right?
3: Right. Uh, They're probably donors. You know, they don't know. They don't know what they're doing.
1: So this is like a star chamber
2: thing. I mean, this is billionaires getting in a back room Spending money to get on a ballot and deciding who should be president of the United States. This is like stuff that it would be a bad movie script if it was pitched in Hollywood.
3: It's possible they'll be in a front room, but they will be in a room somewhere, probably in in Nancy Jacobson's house in Georgetown, which is quite nice. And uh, yeah, they're going to decide themselves. So it's the least Democratic thing possible. And then I have to point to one other thing, because, Jen, as you noted, they keep saying they're not going to run a candidate unless they can win. They right. put out an electoral college map. It's on our website, thirdway.org no labels. Their map is so ridiculous that when we asked Amy Walter, a very well-respected independent analyst, to analyze their map, she refused to do it because she said it's too stupid to analyze. The, <laughs> they claim they're going to win not only swing states, they claim they're going to win like Washington State that, that Biden won by 19, Rhode Island that he won by 21. Hawaii, that he won by 30. I mean, it, it is completely bananas. They can't get to 270 electoral votes without winning states that either Biden or Trump won in a landslide in 2020. So the whole thing is completely preposterous.
2: Okay. So let's now walk down this path of what most people don't know or understand because we've never had it happen in America. What happens if they continue in this completely spoiler role and neither Donald Trump or Joe Biden gets 270 electoral votes. Walk us cleanly and clearly through what would the process be, who would be making the decision, and what would be the likely outcome?
3: So if they defy all history and they actually win a state or two, let's say they pick up one of the swing states, Wisconsin or Arizona, and the rest of the states divide very evenly, we could be in a situation where neither Trump or Biden have 270 electoral votes. What that would mean is one of two things: either they would try to negotiate with Biden or Trump to get something, something they have not articulated. And by the way, they've talked about doing this on television, trying to negotiate, and then getting their electors from Arizona or or Wisconsin to throw their support behind one of the other candidates. That means they would be faithless electors. Then. Sketchy, yeah, so sketchy.
1: <laughs> this is a very dicey proposition. People don't think, don't anyone Can think you that imagine? works? Imagine,
3: and then the governor of that state will have to decide whether to sign the ballot, and then it will go to the house that will be run either by the Republicans or the Democrats, whoever wins the majority in the next election.
1: Pause. Yeah. I'm going to pause here because this is really important. That people, most people yep. don't know this map in 2024. It will be the party that won seats in 2024 will control the confirming of votes. So this is like the number one reason to make sure that Hakeem Jeffries takes over as speaker in early January because it is whoever wins in 24 that will control this process.
3: Well, mostly. So here's how it works. There's the election in November. Then the electors meet in state capitals in early December. To cast the ballot. Usually that's an administrative function. Whoever wins the popular vote of the state, they win the electoral votes. Those votes are then sent to Congress. And of course, on January 6th, they are counted, which again is supposed to be a purely administrative task led by the vice president. Uh, whoever wins the majority of the House will be the majority and the speaker will be either you know, Hakeem or one of the Republicans. Uh, they'll be sworn in three days prior. But When it gets to the House, if neither side has 270 electoral votes, neither of the major candidates has 270 when it gets to the House, or some of those votes are in doubt because no labels have screwed with it in some way, then under the 12th Amendment of the Constitution, the House votes by delegation, not by majority. So the delegation of California has one vote and the delegation of Wyoming has one vote. It's a completely bananas way to do this, but that is what would happen. And there is absolutely positively no way that Republicans will not have a majority of delegations. We could win a landslide in house races in 24, and still we would not have a majority of delegations. So not only would this create incredible chaos, but it would lead to the re-election of Trump.
2: Ding, ding, ding again. Um- well, you know, once again, this is probably the podcast that we're going to put into the Hall of Fame for stuff I didn't know. So, what you're saying to me is a a delegation from a tiny state that is bright red will have the same number of votes for president as California
3: and New York. It is the least. Possible democratic way of a small v democratic way of electing a president because the votes of the people of California will have about one trillionth the impact of the votes of the people of Wyoming. But that is where we are.
2: That is unbelievably scary. I mean, these no labels guys should really do a gut check here. And if they are not willing to say who is funding this, we have no idea where this money is coming from. And what you're basically saying is they have figured out a way in our system to not identify a candidate, to pick a candidate in a back room, to have billionaires only involved, and to deliver the presidency to Donald Trump.
3: exactly right. And believe it or not, their CEO, Nancy Jacobson, has said on the record she doesn't think people care where their money comes from. So that's why they're not revealing they're donors, which we definitely care.
1: We care. So you should go ahead and do it.
3: And message, we care, as George Bush once said. So uh, that is not credible, along with many other things they've said.
1: Okay. We've talked a lot about, th- I mean, first of all, this has been phenomenal. Clearly, the the most informative podcast we've done yet. Um, we talked a lot about no labels, but like, what about West, RFK Jr., this is a time where the president has low approval ratings. By the way, I would just note for folks, if you're in a Democratic country, leaders have low approval ratings. And by the way, Joe Biden's approval ratings are much higher relative to our counter, his counterparts in the U.K., Germany, uh, France. It's like a rough time to be in charge. But what about RFK Jr., Cornel West? And do you think that these like low approval numbers may entice more people to come in, more independent, third-party candidates?
3: Well, there's a barrier to entry, which is getting on the ballot. And as we discussed, both West and RFK still face it. And I think if if you don't have a party, then it's tough to do this if you're somebody else. So I'm not particularly worried that we'll have more. If they get on the ballot in swing states, West and RFK are definitely a problem. West is a very serious problem because he could appeal to our core base voters. Um, He is, you know, well-known. Uh, especially in the Black community. He's well-respected. And my hope and expectation is that folks in his world will be able to convince him that the stakes are too high for him to risk this, uh, but I don't know. RFK, however, there's been a lot of reporting about how he might hurt Trump more than Biden. I don't buy that at all. I mean, the polling you're seeing is, is national polls. It's meaningless. What matters is Maricopa County and Detroit. And those are numbers that are too small to parse uh, at this level. What I worry is that low information voters will go into the booth and think, I'm not voting for Trump. I don't love Biden. Oh, here's a Kennedy. That sounds good. And they may not know that he's a complete lunatic and will vote for him. So that I think is the bigger risk.
1: Anywhere people should go for information about all of this?
3: Yes, we do tons of stuff. Thirdway.org/slash no labels has all of our stuff and we'll be putting out more.
1: Matt, we want
2: to really thank you for joining us. I think we we we've learned a lot and I think we'll check back in with you in a few months and see how this process is moving along. Uh, This is a much bigger deal than everyone is making of it, and we're grateful for your time this morning. Thank you.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with much more. If you have a question for us, you can send it to at nbcuni.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 646-974-4194 and we might answer it on the pod. The senior producer for
2: this show is Alicia Conley. Jessica Schrecker and Ivy Green are segment producers. Bryson Barnes is the head of audio production. Katherine Anderson is our audio engineer. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series.